Y'all can talk about all these viruses, and that's good, but you can't forget the main one. It's plaguing us, bruh. It's time now for the People's War Radio Show, where we do talk about the main virus. And that is colonialism. On the People's War Radio Show, we talk with healthcare workers, activists, revolutionaries, authors, teachers, and regular people from the African community. We aim to bring you an African internationalist analysis on all things important to winning our freedom from colonialism. The root of all our problems is why I'm poor. Down with the colonial virus. Keeps me at war. The colonial virus. Uhuru! Welcome to the People's War Radio Show. I'm Dr. Matsumela Odom. And I'm Awambi Tangu. Uhuru means freedom in Swahili, and freedom is on our minds 24-7. Hip-hop artist DMX, born Earl Simmons, died on April 9, 2021 from organ failure. Colonial media sources have claimed a reported overdose as the cause of his death. But one of our guests today has suggested a different culprit. A culprit that has taken the lives of hundreds of millions of African people, the colonial virus. DMX emerged on the rap scene in 1997 at a critical moment. The deaths of Tupac and Notorious B.I.G. left a void in the hip-hop community as a counterinsurgency had taken two of the brightest African cultural workers within six months. Aesthetically, DMX looked a lot like Tupac, but brought an entirely unique form. Unlike other artists who clearly appeared as facsimiles of Biggie and Tupac, DMX was original. With the rare form of honesty, DMX's song spoke of the impacts of the U.S. counterinsurgency on African working class life, including his own. Snatch the plate. I thank the Lord every day that I'm blessed with the gift. I'm the best, so unless 
unless you wanna fresh with the step. Uh, Don't touch that. Uh uh. Leave it alone. When you walk past the doghouse, leave it alone. Come dogs bite, dogs fight, dogs like scratch, shake and hold all night. Fight. So when you hit it, uh, uh, start running. Cause when you hit it, uh, uh, I'm coming. But I don't like drama, so I stay to myself. Uh -huh. Keep focused with this rap and pray for the wealth. I want the money. Uh -huh. Give me the honeys with big. with us today we have Dexter Ilamwingu and yesterday Oren Mila. Dexter Ilamwingu is from Boston, Massachusetts. He is the information and education coordinator for the International People's Democratic Uhura Movement. Dexter assists the International People's Democratic Uhura Movement president and column editor Colin Bailly and Danette with the production of the African Resistance Now column in the Burning Spear newspaper. He contributed to the paper's article on DMX entitled DMX was the voice of the streets. Dexter is joined by Yejide Oronmila. Yejide Oronmila is the president of the African National Women's Organization, where she leads the important campaigns such as Uhuru Kijiji Child Care Collective and the Arrest CPS campaigns. Raised in New York, Yejide is also a DMX fan. Welcome to the show, Dexter and Yejide. Uhuru, thank you for having uh, me on. I'm excited to talk about this. Yeah, so yesterday, Dexter told me that you were a DMX fan, and I knew we had to get you on the show. Uh, I actually didn't know that you followed Darkman X, you know, and I'm always like this. I tell everybody, like, man, I, you know, I, I know I'll be having these contradictions myself on the people I like, and then I'm always like, oh, wow, this person likes this show, or I can't believe this person be following sports too, or this rapper, so I'm just happy to have you on. But I remember when DMX came into the scene around 1997. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that uh, I first saw him in the 24 Hours to Live 
video mm-hmm. uh, where he was alongside Mace and the Locks. It was like the best lyrics, the best lyrics out of the whole song. <laughs> right. And, and, and it was nuts. I mean, like, honestly, like, I've never seen somebody with the best like, lyrics you, out of the whole song. He brought a- and you. Right, and you think he's about to jump through the the, the actual movie screen, right? Yeah. Through the television screen. So, coming from the L.A. area, I noticed how much he looked like Pac, but his style was very unique. So, how did you first learn a DMX, and what attracted you to his music? His music, <laughs> his music. It was, I mean, I, I was I was living on the, I'm on the East Coast, but I was living in um New York at the time, and uh, New York, New Jersey. And at the time, you know, I was, you know, Puffy changed his name to Diddy and or whatever the hell it was doing. It was, you know, Mason, all of them with, you know, these shiny suits and dancing and pop song singing. I was just so over it. I just I thought that hip hop at that time was just so ugh, it was just like nothing. And then DMX for me was like uh, this sound, this grit, this energy of hip hop. And he brought. Like, I was like, who is this person? <laughs> His sound was so amazing. And I think from then on, I just I just had to listen to him. I bought, you know, his first two albums because he put out two albums in his first year. Like, the first two, it was so dark. <laughs> it was like, it's dark and hell is hot. And then the second one was like, flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. And, um, and I had to buy that. I had to scoop that up and, like, was listening to it all the time. But, like, TMX was... You know, all of his lyrics, even though they were contradictions, they were just like, so many of it was contradictions. But I felt like his energy, the energy that he portrayed, the contradictions that he portrayed in his songs, and also um, just his desire, like his songs were like a diary. His albums were like diaries of like really looking at the the conflict and resolutions and anger and love and all of those things wrapped up into one on his albums. I thought that was really amazing. And so. I think most of most of all, it was just capturing his voice, the voice and the energy of his voice. I think was really something that really spoke to me. Oh, yeah, that that's what really stood out to me as well about him was his, uh, like I said, his energy. You know, his love for his people. I I never really seen him as a person who actually sought to sow beef either, right? Because. You know, I remember like coming from LA, we're like, how he calling himself the dog? It's only one dog, right? And he looked like Tupac, you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. But 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 that wasn't really the energy uh, that he brought. Uh, uh, I mean, he had his own rat beef sometimes and things like that. But even in his portrayal of the contradictions, I really noticed that it was an open and almost an honest uh, uh, public like self criticism for some of us to learn from. So. Yeah, absolutely. Just the same. I remember that time period as well. Now, Dexter, you're a little bit younger than Matsumela and yesterday, so that means you would have come across his work much younger. What is the circumstances that attracted you to his work? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I didn't have the uh, the benefit of, of coming up on his, on his music as it was coming out, you know, when I was a kid. Um I remember the first time I really, you know, heard his music and understood what I was listening to it was uh, on a little game, uh, childhood favorite, um, Def Jam Vendetta um, for the GameCube. You know, so I heard a lot of his um, early records on that game. Um, I remember as, as the years went by and I kind of started getting to the gym, I realized that DMX was also like prime 
workout music. And I think it was over the course of just letting this album run sometimes, I would come across certain tracks and certain ones that stood out early on were, were Damien and then tracks where he was really uh, speaking about how, you know, conflicted he was, um, you know, his mental state, um, and just the emotional weight that was on him um, due to everything going on around him. And that's when I really developed a much deeper appreciation, you know, for him as an artist beyond just the bangers. Yeah, yeah, he conveyed that struggle like no other artist really did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For real. Uh, Def Jam. Uh, Rough Riders. Uh, my TV, creep with me. Why is it every move I make turned out to be a bad uh-huh. one? Where's my guardian angel? Need one? Wish I had yeah. one. I'm right here, shorty, and I'ma hold you down. I'm trying to f all these I'ma show you how. Okay. But who? Name D like you, but my friends call me Damien, and I'ma put you into something. Uh-huh. About the Damien, you and me can take it there, and you'll be the hottest ever living. That's, That's a given? You'll see. Hmm. That's what I've been wanting all my life. Thinking about my little man, so I call my wife. Yo, your dad's about to make it happen. What you mean, my I'm about to make it rapping. Today I met this cat. He said his name was Damien. He thinks that we're a lot alike and wants to be my friend. You mean like Chucky? <laughs> yeah, just like Chucky. Dad, looks like we both lucky. Yeah, the snake, the rat, the cat, the dog. Uh, how you gonna see him if you living in the fall? Uh, the snake, the rat, the cat, the dog. Uh, how you gonna see him if you living in the fall? Uh, the snake, the rat, the cat, the dog. Uh, how you gonna see him if you living in the fall? Uh, the snake, the rat, the cat, the dog. Uh, how you gonna see him if you living in the fall? Hey, yo, D. What up, D? You just smooth. I seen you when nobody knew who pulled the trigger. Yeah, you know, it's always overdue. You sure? I could have swore it was over. Nah, nah, that ain't my style. You stay frontin', but you still my man. I ain't gonna say nothing. That's a week. Go ahead, smoke it. What? Go ahead, drink it. Go ahead and fuck shorty. You know I can keep a secret. Right. I'm about to have you driving. Probably it bends, but we gotta stay friends. Blood out, blood in. Sounds good to me. What I got to lose? Hmm. Nothing I can think of. Any could choose. Got me pushing the whip, taking trips across seas. Pockets stay laced. I flush cheese. For that, I will bleed. Give him my right hand. Now that I think about it, yo, that's my man. The snake, the rat, the cat, the dog. Uh, how you gonna see him if you living in the fall? Uh, the snake, the rat, the cat, the dog. Uh, how you gonna see him if you living in the fall? Uh, the snake, the rat, the cat, the dog. Uh, how you gonna see him if you living in the fall? Uh, the snake, the rat, the cat, the dog. Uh, how you gonna see him if you living in the fall? You like how everything is going? You like what I gave you? Yeah. You know if you was going down, I'd be the one to save you. True. But yo, I need a favor. This cat's across town, hate uh-huh. Plus their behavior hasn't been too good lately. What? Anything for you. You dog, where them n****s at? 38 from boy. let me get the gap. Run up on them strap, bust off gaps and fold. Lay low for about a month and kill two more. Now I'm ready to chill, but you still want me to kill. Look at what I did for you, dog. Come on, keep it real. All right, I'ma do it. Who is it this time? Hey, yo, remember that kid Sean used to be with in 89? Nah, that's my man. I thought I was your man. But yo, that's my n****. Hey, who's your biggest fan? Even do it or give me your right hand. That's what you say. I see now, but trouble ahead. Uh-huh. The snake, the rat, the cat, the dog. Uh. How you gonna see him if you living in the fall? Uh. The snake, the rat, the cat, the dog. Uh. How you gonna see him if you living in the fall? Uh. The snake, the rat, the cat, the dog. Uh. How you gonna see him if you living in the fall? Uh. The snake, the rat, the cat, the dog. Uh. How you gonna see him if you living in the fall? In the fall, the fall, living in the fall. How you gonna see him if you living in the fall? How you 
As noted, DMX originally garnered a lot of comparisons to Tupac. In fact, he and Pac were only about six months apart in age. X was born December 1970 in Mount Vernon, and Pac was born in June 1971, not too far away, in New York City, son of Afini Shakur, former member of the New York City Black Panther 21. Despite what I feel are their differences in styles, they both came up at a similar moment. President Yesterday, can you explain for our listeners the conditions of life for, for working class Africans in New York City following the overthrow of the African Revolution of the 1960s, the same period that these two artists were born into? I grew up mostly in New Jersey. Like my, I was born in New York, but I was grew up in New Jersey. But, you know, I would be in New York all the time because my family went there every single weekend. And um, I would say the two aren't very different. But the African working class um, in these areas are, you know, you're living in a, in a metropolis, like a, a major city, and you're always trying to hustle. You know what I'm saying? You always are about trying to get on and trying to, which is probably not so different from anywhere else at really. And, um, you know, I grew up uh, in an environment where my, my people that I knew was card thieves, <laughs> was jacking cars, they were selling drugs. And, you know, somebody knew somebody and, and probably loved somebody who was involved in, you know, this sort of contradictory, um, you know, economic life for Africans that, are, that, you know, that was forced upon us based on, you know, the counterinsurgency in our communities. And so what we hear from DMX is the story of someone who is, struggling to make it out, provide for his boys, provide for his family, which he also calls his dogs, and make a way for himself by, you know, doing that street hustle stuff, right? But in the middle of that, because he's doing street hustle stuff, you might have to rob somebody, kill somebody, and do some, you know, just do all this kind of stuff that we heard on DMX's album. And just sort of that, like, that contentious life that you have to struggle with when you're trying to just, be better, but the what's offered to an African working class community then and now is the way to be better is to you know the easiest path to be better and to try to attain what capitalism has stole from us is to be the biggest baddest you know person in our communities and and some of that time most often those times are you know through illicit means and so we hear also on X's album like you know derogatory. Um, messages around homosexuality and we hear all these all these things are awful but I think that and I think that these are things that represent the contradiction within the lives of African people and how we can really struggle to overturn them but also recognize that that the the system under which we live has created them and so we can't demonize the people who came up underneath this system because this is what we were pushed into. What we have to do is understand it and struggle with them if we can and try to come out on a, on top with a, a profound love for our people that will have us talking about making the revolution. But what I think X represents is just the everyday African working class 
force who, you know, despite all odds and all conditions, desires to do something with their life that, um, and will do something positive with their lives. And sometimes something positive can be coupled with something negative. And I think that's what Dark Man X was about. Like it was the light versus the dark and the good versus evil and always having to struggle against the two, um, you know, in his music and, and obviously in his, in his, in his real life, because, you know, he was, a you know, dealing with the addiction and, and things like that. So, but just to turn it back around to your original question, I think the conditions for Africans in New York around that time is, is pretty much the same of what the conditions are now, particularly for the African working class. It's one of hustle and one of um, trying to get on and trying to make something out of themselves and if it's not drugs, it's gonna be rap music. If it ain't rap, it's gonna be basketball. If it ain't basketball, it's football. It's something that will allow for African people to provide for themselves, for ourselves. Right, that's what Biggie said, right? Um, what's it? Hit streets, took a short stop. Either you slang crack rock or you got a wicked jump shot or something like that. Um, uh, you know, underscoring those contradictions and those uh, limited uh, opportunities underneath colonialism for uh, uh, African youth. If I wasn't in the rap game, I'd probably have a key knee deep in the crack game because the streets is a short stop. Either you're slinging crack rock or you got a wicked jump shot. And it's hard being young from the slums, eating five cent gums, not knowing where your meal's coming from. And now this is getting crazier and major. Kids younger than me, they got the sky grand pages. Going out of town, blowing up. Six months later, all the dead bodies showing up. It made me want to grab the nine and the shoddy. But I gotta go identify the body. Damn, what happened to the summertime cookouts? Every time I turn around, I'm getting took out. My mama got cancer in her breast. Don't ask me why I'm stressed. Things done change. A term that we've been using with this term is this term counterinsurgency. Can you explain that term for the listeners? Why is this term appropriate for us to understand the era that uh, we all came up in as a moment of U.S. counterinsurgency? Yeah, so the counterinsurgency is the, and is, um, most times was referred to as COINTELPRO, is the uh, military assault that the U.S. government made uh, against the African community developed with the emergence of the Black Power Movement of the 1960s and 70s. And then it um, continued beyond that to, um, the, the, you know, and their, and, their, and the defeat, militarily defeat of, the, of the, the Black Power Movement, not only in the U.S., but everywhere in the world where we were actually struggling for our liberation and through guns and violence, but also through underpinning of drugs in our communities, flooding our communities with crack cocaine, all other kinds of drugs, you know, that really undermined the attempt by African revolutionaries to try to reconstitute ourselves. And it also provided an economy that the Black Revolution wasn't providing. Like it was providing now a, a brother or a sister who was poor all their lives can make, you know, thousands of dollars in a day through the sale of a highly addictive derivative of crack, of cocaine and called crack. And so here we had, um, you know, instead of the whole desire for the African community to, 
to be liberated and, and bring forth the African revolution, now we have African people being strung out on this addictive drug, right? But then we also have the people who are selling it, which are also African people, but the people who are selling it to African people are is the US government and and really deepening, you know, um, the stranglehold uh, on the African community by preventing the rise of um, the rise of a black messiah. And so um, and so I think the counterinsurgency for those of us is, is the police and the way they took out the Black Panther Party is the crack cocaine and all these things. But when we look at, particularly in that era, um, the 90s, like we still see Africans still slinging that rock and they still, they, they still in project housing, we still in project housing, we still struggling around the same issues on welfare, the same concerns that the Black Panther Party was dealing with back in the 60s, the same things that were impacting the lives of African people. And so, if, you know, we still have this illicit drug economy that was created by the US government um, and, and still continue to take the lives of African people, whether you're on either side of the framework. And so we have to recognize that as Black people, that this, like the, the, the things that the stories that DMX is telling, um, the the lives that um, that he goes on to impact are all things that um, come as a result of be living under colonialism. And I just want to say, be very transparent. Like you know, I I knew people who are. I think all of us knows know somebody who was on drugs. Somebody, uncle, mama, friend, was that relative that was strung out on some drug and crack. It wasn't some drug; it was crack. Most of us are introduced to drugs through the crack somebody was on crack and so to see that but also see like him struggling and his humanity around it I think that that really spoke to the African community as a whole because we know somebody like DMX <laughs> we we love somebody like DMX we we root for them to win and I think that his story and his struggle was really you know, it just hit close to home to for, for a lot of African people. Yeah, Uhura, I think that's what's so important about this interview. And what's important about African internationalist perspective really is just that defense of the African working class against uh, this uh, slander. You know, uh, I was reading through the entire speech of the um, wolf in the double-edged blade, uh, the the piece that Dead Prez used at the beginning of their album, and and when you read the entire speech, I mean, I think everyone should really read it. It's, it gets even more dynamic where Chairman starts saying, "Look, yeah, you know, uh, you know, you know, we've all had family members steal from us. We know that uh, this stuff uh, uh, is gripping our community, but you don't attack the victims. You know, you attack." the people who put it there and stuff like that. And that's why, and, and I've seen a collective, uh, you know, you know, coming around him uh, in terms of the African working class, uh, as opposed to, whereas this mainstream media I've noticed always want to talk about his demons, his demons and stuff like that. I'm looking for the feminists to come out though. I haven't seen anything that's negative. <laughs> you know how they be trying you know, mess up on folks, but I'm waiting for them. Like, I'm just like, I don't see anything that that's good because maybe they know they shouldn't touch this. But like, um, I, you know, I think that's it. I think that it's interesting because there's stuff out there, but I just think just realize he wasn't talking to you. Yeah, yeah. 
because I mean, I, you know, I'm listening to his music now and, you know, I know that, I mean, it was highly problematic lyrics, right? Like, but, but I also believe like he had people, you know, that the same people he was talking about badly in his, in his songs, he probably loved them too. You know what I'm saying? In real life. And I just think that that's just the circle of life in the African colony, you know? Yeah. So I just think that he, he brought a kind of mirror to us and he um, personified like the energy <laughs> that we wanted to bring around these issues. You know, it wasn't pop songy hip hop. It was gritty. It was gutters. It was, it was grimy and it was, but it was good. It was like, this was the, this is how I feel right now. This is how, you know, I can explain myself and it, it doesn't, it's not always wrapped up in a pretty bow, but this is just pure unadulterated realness and how my, how it, how life is impacting me. And I think that's okay. I know that's okay because, of, you know, millions of people around the world really connected with his music and him as a person. Get at me, dog. The 24 hours to live. His part was like, I mean, I remember watching that video and that song and I was just like, oh my God, he just gave me life. I just came out of that thing like, this is like the best, he's like the best person in this song. I even understand what these other people were doing there. I think I've been eating long enough now, stop being greedy. You know, that's my song too. That's like, I love that song. And I think what um, Dexter referred to, Damien, is uh, also a great song because if you, if people haven't heard Damien, they should definitely go check Damien out. You could probably watch it on YouTube or something like that. I think that that personification of the devil and, and him being someone who is contending with the devil, I think that's something that a lot of Africans can relate to. Some of those are some of my songs that I appreciate. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. Because you really did bring me back to what I said back first off, you know, you've been eating long enough. Stop being greedy. Keep mm-hmm. real partner. Give to the needy, right? And, and, and but then he also shows that in uh, 24 hours to live. Everyone else is talking about all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. But he says 20 says 24 hours left. Until my death, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna waste a lot of lives, but I'll cherish every breath. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I know exactly where I'm going, but I'm gonna send you there first. But yes. but, but 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 then he goes on to say, you know, C4 under the coat, snatch up my dog, uh, turn like three buildings on Wall Street into a fog. Mm-hmm. Out with the bang, you remember my name. I wanted to live forever. But this, but this wasn't fame, yeah. right? So, like, man, dang, dang. Twenty-four left until my death, so I'm gonna waste a lot of lives, but I'll cherish every breath. I know exactly where I'm going, but I'ma send you there first. And with the that I'll be doing, I'ma send you there worse. I've been living with a curse, and now it's all about to end. But before I go, say hello to my little friend. But I got to make it right, reconcile with my mother. Try to explain to my son, to my girl, I love her. See four up under the coat, snatch up my dog. I didn't even get the reference to the dog thing. I guess I'm, I'm not from the east to the west coast, so I didn't get the reference to the dog. Oh, uh, uh, Snoop, Snoop. Oh, I, Snoop. I know, I know. I mean, I didn't really see that connection before now. And, and I didn't see the connection with the versus battle, too. Like, why is it being next to Snoop Dogg? And so now I do. <laughs> 
Because of he that. He had whole, the bandana tied backwards. And he had mm-hmm. the bald head. Okay. Okay. Dexter. The African Resistance Now article notes that DMX was a voice of the streets. In what ways do you feel he spoke for the African working class? I think, you know, like it says in the article, um, you know, it said, uh, you know, ask the black community what they liked about DMX the most. And, you know, they're not going to talk about his biggest hits or the, the or anything like that. But, you know, they're going to talk about how they just felt him. And that's all you're going to hear. You just feel him. You just get it. You just get what he's saying. You know, it wasn't, you know, the what, you know, none of that. Y'all going to make me lose my mind. Um, you could just relate to the struggles that, that DMX would speak in his music. You know, like you, the, the anger, the, 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 the fear, the despair, all of that. And all these things that are just associated with, you know, a colonized, oppressed people. You know, that's what made him the voice of the people because, you know, he was talking about us. He was taking our struggle and putting it on wax, basically. And I think, you know, especially taking into account, like, the time he came out, you know, like, like the peak of the whole shiny suit era, you know, bad, 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 bad boy, and 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 all of that, um, <laughs> the money ain't a thing, crystal champagne, like, you know, in the midst of all of that, DMX was coming out with just, just being real, you know, real raw, you know, everybody else would only, like, when it came to poverty and the struggle, other artists would only really talk about that. In, in the context of where they used to be, you know, they used to be broke, but you know, now they bling bling and, and then DMX wasn't doing that. You know, he kept it raw. He didn't sugarcoat anything. Uh, he wasn't trying to make it palatable for the radio or, or, or white people. Um, you know, none of that. You know, I think he just really, really communicated what was going on in the black community in a really raw, transparent way. And that's what people mean when they say they feel him, you know, like there was one, I know there was a quote that we have at the end of the article um, where he says, you know, he's being asked why straight up, why the black community rocks with him like that. And he said, you know, I speak for them, like verbatim quote. He said, I speak for them. He said, I'll be the voice of the streets till I die. Cause I know if I keep my heart real, I'm going to fly. And I think that quote really encapsulates DMX and how he really was um, um, a mouthpiece for the struggles in our community. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I really appreciate how you're talking about how he continued to talk about the, you know, the the working class struggles and it mm-hmm. wasn't like it was this whole thing about mm-hmm. his, uh, you know, r- you know, this rags to riches and bling bling and all the shine, shine, shiny suits and all that stuff. So Exactly. And I remember it was, a, I believe, I believe um, it, was a, it was somebody, it was an interview I seen where, you know, Jay-Z had literally said during the time when DMX was coming up that, he doesn't think he'll work. Like he doesn't think his style is going to make it because it was, I think he said it was too sad. I think he, he used a word like that too depressing. It just wasn't going to work. And, you know, lo and behold, that just kind of speaks to what was like the, you know, the status quo in hip hop at the time compared to what DMX was putting out. Right. You are listening to the people's war radio show produced by WBPU black power, 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guest today are Yesterday Orn Mila and Dexter Wingle. So Yesterday, one of my favorite works by DMX was not even an album. It was a film. The 1998 film Belly, co-starring DMX across from Nas. In some ways, it took me a few years to grasp what I felt was the depth of the film. It was in many ways a criticism of the film and music of the 1980s and 90s, most notably 
it represented, I think, a counterpoint to the film Scarface. In the film, DMX plays the character of Tommy. Tommy was a drug dealer uh, who was eventually recruited by a government agency, right, the counterinsurgency, to take down a prominent African leader. In the process, Tommy finds consciousness. Have you seen Belly is my first question. And if so, um, despite all of these contradictions, did you read any politics into the film? I have seen Belly. I saw it when it first came out. Um, I haven't watched it again in uh, many, many years. So I don't think that I would be helpful in terms of really analyzing the politics of it because I'd have to watch it again. For the longest, I always thought, um, I said, why is it called Belly? I just didn't understand it. And then someone, you know, because sometimes I'd be slow and the guy was like, duh, it's the belly of the beast. I said, oh, that's it. So uh, I guess it has to do with us being trapped in the belly of the beast. Uh, and and that's why it's sort of focusing on all these different uh, contradictions of African life produced by uh, the counterinsurgency. Uh, DMX finds consciousness. Um, Nas, you know, decides to take his family to Africa. Uh, the whole thing basically just becomes like a, a, a long list array of Nas's songs, you know, you know, uh, where he says, you know, free everybody from Attica, send them to Africa. Uh, but also, uh, that's actually interesting, though, because one of the demands, right, of the uh, African rebellion in Attica was that they wanted an airplane to go to uh, Africa. But so, 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 so Nas, you know, he decides that he's going to leave the U.S. behind and go to Africa. Uh, whereas uh, DMX becomes conscious of some sort and uh, foreseeably possibly an organizer in the film. But uh, Mwambi, you've seen those movies? Yeah, yeah. I think that's why this um, interview is so important because that whole time period, you know, we're talking about Pac, we're talking about Biggie, we're talking about DMX. And then um, when we look at movies like, you know, all the way from New Jack City to Belly to even Shada's, um, it is, you know, really a uh, a struggle against the counterinsurgency. And, you know, that's why, you know, through African internationalism, we're able to analyze, you know, movies like this because, you know, it really talks about uh, some of the details of the counterinsurgency of, you know, being involved in churches, you know, obviously being involved in the illegal street economy. But, you know, these are the realities, you know, that the African working class um, faces, you know, even in regards to looking at it from the east to the west coast. Um, one of the things that I've seen was when uh, DMX and uh, Nipsey Hussle met and, you know, the conversation that they had, you know, you know, continues just the same conversation that we're having about all these different movies, you know, these different culture workers that really represent the African working class. And, you know, unfortunately, um, many have succumbed to, you know, to the, to, you know, to death through, you know, this struggle against colonialism. So, yeah, I just, yeah, I appreciate this discussion. And, you know, I definitely uh, remember Belly and all these movies when they were coming out. That's it. The African Resistance Now article notes that one very publicized aspect of DMX's character was his battle with drug addiction. The article reads, some have characterized his addiction as his demons, as if DMX's struggle with drugs was something unique to him. The reality of it is 
that DMX has struggled with crack just like any any African struggle with crack was something planned, coordinated, and executed before DMX was even born. Can you explain that to us? Yeah, yeah, man. He was um, you know, he was set up basically. He was set up, you know, all the, you know, everything was put in the community and everything was put in place in a way that would set DMX and many, many, many Africans like DMX up um, for battling with the same, um, you know, drug addiction. You know, he, he really didn't have a choice in a way. Like, and I feel like in order to really, um, you know, understand where his addiction came from, you know, we got to understand the conditions in, in the community and where those conditions come from. You know, cause I know, you know, one thing like you, like you had said more on beyond, you know, this whole thing of his, his demons, you know, people would, would call um, his addiction, his demons, like, you know, it was just some weird, strange affliction unique to DMX as if, you know, drug uh, dependency is something that many people struggle with in the African community. And he's got to look at the conditions that DMX faced, you know, the man who was a poor impoverished African and in, in, in the projects of the impoverished black community. He I know he would he would speak about being physically abused by, you know, by people that are supposed to love him, his family members, getting his teeth knocked out by her her her, her boyfriends. Uh, he his father wasn't in the picture. He was locked up from a child and spent years in prison. And, you know, as soon as he came out, he was hustling. You know, he was on the streets trying to make what little resources he could because he didn't have any resources and his, his mama didn't have any resources. He was, you know, in and out of jail and just, you know, the hunger and the homelessness, all these things that he dealt with, all of this, all of that stuff was just conditions of living that were forced on DMX, DMX, his family and in the entire, you know, African community. And, you know, they were put in place by capitalism, by, by colonialism, you know, this whole system that exploits us and exploits our communities and you know the thing about dmx is like um he's not he's not special as far as his experiences with this you know he's you know it's not his own story it's not unique to him you know his story is all of our stories his story is every colonized african like if you didn't get beat on by your mother maybe it was your father or your boyfriend your girlfriend even people in the community the, the police something and it's like if you didn't experience it personally by some chance you, you definitely witnessed it you know we're exposed to so much violence in our communities so much death you know sickness all of that you know hopelessness and, and and these are just real inhumane conditions and they would drive anybody to, to drugs uh, alcohol, sex, even, you know, any kind of escapism, you know, something to just to dull the pain, you know, something to get our mind off these conditions, you know, for a few minutes. And we become dependent on all this stuff. And like, and like, that's the point. That's the point. You know, all these, that's what we mean when we say all these conditions were strategically put in place to keep African people, you know, high, you know, going off drugs and whatever substance and, keep us at each other's necks of what little resources we even have, like in our communities. So, you know, in that way, uh, you know, DMX was set up in, in the same way that all of us was, was set up by the system. So when you see people who are like calling him saying, you know, he was a crackhead and he, he succumbed to his demons. Uh, it's really just, you know, backwards, I feel to, to describe these, these circumstances as his demons, you know, cause it, it lets the system off the hook. You know, it lets it lets colonialism off the hook and 
And we really end up blaming African people for our own oppression. So I felt like, you know, just really important that we that we conveyed that in uh, in the article. Uh, yesterday, uh, in the introduction, I stated that DMX did not die of a heart attack or a drug overdose. He died from the colonial virus. What is the colonial virus? Colonial virus is the the crisis of imperialism. It is it is the um, colonialism, domestic colonialism. So I'm I'm trying to answer with the definition I'm saying with the thing. So, so colonialism is the um, the pro, the the foreign domination of a people by another people. And so since we understand that in terms of like how the European attacked Europe, attacked Africa. Um, take uh, took Africans out of Africa, kidnapped Africans out of Africa, made Africans work for them under the threat of death and violence, and um, also exploited um, Africans Africans on the continent and exploited Africa's resources. And so, colonialism is the parasitic relationship between Europe and Africa, uh, um, and Europe. And the rest of the world, who you know, who are struggling against, you know, domination by a foreign um, uh, parasitic body and parasite. For those of you who don't know, is is a is a organism that uh, cannot live unless it is sucking from you, if, unless it's draining you of your your life force. And so, um, this is. And this is the this is what colonialism represents, and so you know when we just talked about all the things that DMX um, had to endure, um, some of the contradictions that he was always struggling with. I mean, it it was caused by this parasitic relationship that um, that white uh, power has with the African working class, and um, and. And then how we deal with it is, is how we deal with it, you know? And um, and so, you know, I don't know if they even verified whether or not he had drugs in his system, but it doesn't even really matter if he did or didn't. You know, his life was a testament to um, the effect of the impact that colonialism has had on African people. I think, right, I, like he died on the same day as Prince Philip. I've never heard of Prince Philip in my whole entire life. <laughs> And so he died and they put both of these, the Washington Post, um, sorry, New York Post put their pictures on the front cover and of the New York Post and, and described one as, uh, I guess, altruistic human being and then one who was struggling against, and DMX is somebody who was struggling. Um, I forget the, the title of it, but it was sort of the dichotomy of kind of comparing the light to the dark. <laughs> Right, right. It was like it was like the prince and the rapper, but it was yeah. like one. But but shout out to African people because yeah, they saw that they saw that mess. They didn't let that stuff ride because you know here's this parasite, decrepit, old, ninety something year old, you know, white prince who I'm sorry, white colonizer prince who, who's who's um whose royalty is based on sucking the life out of peoples and continents around the world and he lives to be 90 something years old almost 100 years old because in the dmx a young relatively young african is dead um and you could you could just even if you 
couldn't even imagine Prince Philip sucking the lifeblood out of DMX, right, to stay alive. Right. That's what he looked like. He looked like an actual vermin parasite. Uh, I don't know if you saw my Facebook page where I put I put Uncle Phil from the Fresh Prince and I said that's the only Philip we concerned about. Listen, you know what I, mean? So, <laughs> I mean, like you said, I didn't even know who the guy was. Everyone said Prince Philip passed. I thought it was one of Prince Di's kids. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, I wasn't expecting the old guy look like the crib keeper. Miss, listen, and that's what they all look like. You know, when they get to that age, and I just think, I think we were we were talking about. Dr. Aisha Fields would uh, often give presentations about life expectancies for Africans. And she would say that, you know, the life expectancy for Africans in Sierra Leone, for example, would be somewhere like 35, 40 years old, based on all of the contradictions in terms of the infrastructure, the diseases and things like that, as opposed to somebody who's living off of the resources stolen out of Sierra Leone, who can live to, you know, 80, 90 years old. And so the conditions that are caused by colonialism, that exploitation, that, 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 that theft of our resources, that, that, that um, deteriorates our lives, allows, other, allows Europe and Europeans to um, live off of you know, that death. And you know, those swollen-bellied African children that, we, that they parade around TV with flies in their eyes is a direct result of the white person who's also in that same video talking about come feed the children. They are living off of that. You are listening to the People's World Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guests today are Yejide Oromia and Dexter Mwingu. So one last question. Yejide. We know that DMX lived a tough life of hardships, colonial contradictions imposed on him at a young age. How do the anti-colonial programs that you lead help us to overturn those contradictions that DMX and so many others have grown up with? You know, the work that I lead in the African National Women's Organization is primarily centered around um, women, mothers, children. And I think, you know, if we really are for real about it, like our mothers are like the glue to holding the African community together. And a lot of our memories are around like the the cultivation of that relationship between the bond of our mothers and the women in our, in our environment. And I think that with the arrest CPS work where we really look at the whole question of the state kidnapping African children and that children see that the community is around them um, around them and their mother and trying to reunify, reunify them is really important. And also just the, the infrastructure of the Kijiji, the Hoogadu Chape Collective, you know, replacing the, the very nature of the state in our, in our lives and building the capacity for us to take on these issues um, in the care and uh, consolidation of the African community. It removes also like the unwanted um, terroristic elements of the colonial state and the colonial, pro- uh, the colonial objectives. Um, by reinforcing and within, you know, women, men, children, like the revolutionary trajectory that we hold and that we have the capacity to, you know, transform the world through this process of building the revolution and being a part of the organization. So I hope that answered your question and didn't avoid it. But like, I think that that 
I know that my work is really important in, in really strengthening the capacity of African women to participate in the African revolution, which in, in, which in turn strengthens the entire African community. For our listeners who may not be aware, the African National Women's Organization that you lead was initiated by the African People's Socialist Party, and you sit on the National Central Committee of that organization, representing the women's organization. The African People's Socialist Party platform specifically identifies the uh, special uh, oppression of African women. You know, point nine says that we want an end to the political and social oppression and economic exploitation of African women. We believe in the absolute unequivocal political, social, and economic equality of African women and men. We believe that a fundamental test of the progressive or revolutionary character of any organization, party, movement, or society is its commitment confirmed in practice to the destruction of the special oppression of women and the elevation of women to the rightful place as equal partners and leaders in the forward motion of the development of human society and as leaders, makers, and shapers of human history. And we know that a lot of these issues that X dealt with when he was young had to do with the actual assault on the community and the way in which his mother experienced it. So moving it once again away from blaming the victims, as many people will do even in this sense, maybe what sort of mother would do this or something like that, right? What sort of system, uh, uh, the question he's, you know, he, he forces us to ask, what sort of system will place families and mothers and children into these conditions? So, Yeah, I think that one thing I love about African music, whether it's rap or whatever, is our, is, is our talking to one another. I don't think I hear that in other people's music. Like the, 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 even the, when we express hurt and pain or dis, dis, Enchantment, it's all there, and but one of the things I really appreciate about African music is that you can, you can cultivate, like you can hear the love in it too. Like Tupac did, Dear Mama, and as you just explained in terms of DMX, like really internalizing like his own mother's um, uh, struggles and how it relates to him. I think you know all of it is about. I think what we see from our music is that we are trying to. We are trying to solve problems. We are trying to come together, and in some ways, we are trying to fix some of the things that are that brings us apart. And I think DMX definitely represents all of that—that that intent in our community. Dexter, you say we need to free the African artists. How can we free the African artists so that they can produce work to help us free the people? You know, freeing the African artists, that's going to come with with freeing African people, right? You know, I know it's been said before, you know, I, I believe it was the chairman who said that we've never seen a, a free African before. We've never seen a free, uncolonized uh, African before. We don't know what that person even looks like. You know, someone who's not, uh, you know, hindered in one way or another by colonialism or any of the, the aspects of colonialism that we, that we struggle with, um, you know, in our community. So... You know, when it comes to uh, freeing the African artists and just the potential of a free uh, African artist, like I believe it says uh, in, the, in the article that they'll be able to create entire worlds with their genius, that they, they won't be bogged down by these conditions that, that kill us, 
that that like that keep our minds messed up, that 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 depressed us, that keep our spirits down, keep our creative abilities down. You know, once African people are free, and 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 our creative ability is really um, unleashed. I mean, we uh, I can't even can't even articulate just the extent of what we'll be able to create. You know, once we're free. So yeah, we need to free the African artists, but the only way we're going to free the African artists is by freeing African people. Uhuru, thanks for coming on the show, uh, Dexter and uh, Yesterday. Thanks for coming on the show. So we say down with the colonial virus. Down with the colonial virus. This has been the People's War Radio Show. Produced by WBPU Black Power Radio at 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. WBPU is a project of the African People's Education and Defense Fund. The baddest nonprofit on the planet. Whose mission is to defend the human and civil rights of the African community. And address the grave disparities faced by African people in education, health care, and economic development. For more information on the African People's Education and Defense Fund, visit apedf.org. Episodes of the People's War Radio Show are available on the Black Power Talks podcast. For updates and resources to fight the coronavirus or to volunteer with Project Black Onk, visit developmentforafrica.org. Thank you for listening. Mass incarceration, that's colonial virus.